In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I want a Google driverless car. It's cool and it's clever. And I don't really care that it caused its first accident a few weeks ago on Valentine's Day. You might have heard about the crash. The Google car slowed down because there were sandbags in the road in its way. And the computer on board calculated that the city bus that was following behind would slow down and let the Google car merge in front of it. But that didn't happen. Come on, it's a city bus. So the Google car slammed into the side of the bus at two miles an hour. And the computer on board learned that people are unpredictable. The accident didn't put me off the Google car. But a conversation with an engineer in California did. As we were laughing about it over lunch, the engineer said, the crash isn't really a big deal. It's pretty easily solved. The computer will learn. The big challenge for Google right now is figuring out who lives and who dies in a real accident. Whoa, what does that mean? In the future, when a Google car sees that it's going to crash, the computer will instantly calculate the speed and the angle of impact and then decide who takes the brunt of the collision. So the computer on board will have to make choices about which occupants live and which occupants die. It's an ethical challenge, said the engineer, because the computer will have to decide which passenger is most important. Let me just say that I won't be riding in a Google car with Steph Curry or Stephen Hawking anytime soon. <laughs> it is one of the great ironies of the postmodern age. Our tech-heavy, metric-driven, data-crunching, entrepreneurial world has made, has demanded that each one of us is a problem solver. And yet we still can't solve our ultimate problem. We still haven't found an answer for our troubles that lets everybody live. Ever since Eden, we have been trying. We have tried hiding and blaming and fleeing and killing. We have tried inventing our own gods, and we have tried denying all gods. But sadly, our answers always leave somebody behind to die. God says to Adam, Adam, why did you eat that when I told you not to eat that? And Adam says to God, that woman you gave me, she made me eat it. So if you're here this morning making Google car decisions about who lives and who dies, I guess she's the one that has to go. And ever since then, our history can be told as the story of scapegoats and doormats and dupes. And me, and you, and maybe you and me together in a Google car, and somebody's got to take the fall. Somebody has got to die for our mistakes. 
That's why in the gospel appointed for today on the very first day of the week at early dawn when Mary and Mary and Joanna go to the tomb armed with spices and looking for death, they are so terrified they are absolutely undone by finding life. Those three women are still solving the problem in the old-fashioned way. And nothing about Easter is going to make any sense to them until they rethink Eden and the fall and the law and the prophets and the virgin birth and the temptations and the transfiguration, the miracles and the healings and the forgiveness, Palm Sunday, the Garden of Gethsemane, Good Friday, and the divine promise of a resurrection. None of that will make any sense until they think in a new way and see Jesus, the living flesh of Jesus, the resurrected flesh, as the consummation of everything. Easter's solution to our troubles really is dazzling. It is dazzling precisely because it is not our solution. Of course, Jesus knows all about us. Jesus knows that here this morning, he's got a room full of people who would have done very well as extras last week in the Passion Play. Right here this morning. We are the sort of folks who would deny him or under the right circumstances steal from the money bag or flee and leave him naked to his enemies or kiss him and betray him or in our fickleness cry Hosanna on Palm Sunday and crucify him by Thursday. Our sins don't make us very important, and frankly, they don't make us worth saving. For all the ways that we've forgotten him and for all the ways that we've betrayed him, we deserve to suffer and die forever. That's justice, that we suffer and die forever. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus is different. So when it comes time for Jesus to solve for the ultimate X, when it comes time for Jesus to decide who matters and who among us is valuable, who is worthy, and who gets to carry on and live in peace and beauty and light and hope and joy forever, Jesus picks you. Jesus picks you each one of you. It is a stunning solution to our rebellion, to our sins, and to our self-inflicted pain, to our weakness. It is a stunning solution to our broken hearts that are always seeking the living among the dead, to our sad eyes that cannot see resurrected flesh and blood when it stands right in front of us. It is a striking solution to the human problem And it can only be explained by how full God's heart is of love for each one of you. Here's the truth. Your Heavenly Father has been missing you ever since you ran away from home and tried to make it on your own. By now it's clear to everybody, including you, that this experiment has not gone very well. Just watch the news. 
So your Heavenly Father sends your older brother Jesus to track you down and bring you back. And Jesus was the perfect choice for one simple reason. Unlike anybody else who's ever been born, Jesus loves you more than he loves himself. That's why Jesus is different from everybody else. And his love for you explains everything that has happened here over the past few days. Now this morning, the results are finally in. Even though sin and death got off to a fast start early last week, sin has suffered most, and death has died finally. And Jesus has risen, and you live. Now you've been bound by your baptism to the living, resurrected flesh of Jesus Christ. And in a moment when you come to this altar, you will once again be cemented to the living flesh and blood of Jesus. And not just to his resurrection, but to his destiny. So that you right now have new life and new holiness. And you, amazingly, have the freedom to love others more than yourself. When you leave here today, your new world is all about turning the other cheek and giving generously and praying for those who hurt you and having no enemies. Jesus has no enemies. And caring for the poor and living in forgiveness and increasing in the divine virtues of faith and hope and love. That is another worldly solution to our most vexing problem that always scatters us, always divides us. This is Jesus' solution. Everybody is in and nobody is out. Everybody lives and nobody dies. And that carries on forever if you will only have it. It's up to you if you will only have it. Clever as we are, we never thought of that. And that's why no matter how good or how smart we get, We have Easter every year. We will always need Easter. If you have always thought of God as distant and hard and threatening, if you've always suspected that in the end you are just not good enough, if you've always feared that when somebody finally has to die, that somebody will be you, If you haven't yet found the courage to live out the resurrection every day in divine love and faith and hope, then Easter is for you. This is as simple as I can make it. This is the day that Jesus doesn't kill you. This is the day that Jesus kills everything that threatens you, every idol, every sin, every hatred, every guilty conscience, every darkness, every death, everything that threatens you. So you can come home now and you can live in peace forever. It's yours, it's here, it's new, it's now. It is love, it is certain, and it is for each one of you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen.